Ballad Friday. The greatest love of all by the one and only voice, Whitney Houston. Originally recorded by George Benson. His version went to 24 uh, in the charts, but eight years later, Whitney Houston took it straight to the top. Stephen Holden of the New York Times called the song a compelling assertion of spiritual devotion, black pride, and family loyalty all at once. I don't know about you, Sarah Sparks, but there's something about Whitney Houston and her voice I just can't get past. It's just an extraordinary talent. What do you reckon? Gospel singer. God-given talent. Sir, yeah. You know? I think so, Mark. What do you reckon? Yeah, look, I've always been a bit of a, bit, a, bit of a fan. Again, what a tragic life. Yeah, I know. I know. But that yeah. voice. Just the voice, eh? Just hitting those notes, just the... Perfect intonation. Absolute supernova. Yeah, yeah. 24 to 5, the panel are NZ National, Sarah Sparks and Mark Sainsbury with me today. It's White Ribbon Day today. Excuse me, please. And this year's campaign centres on promoting healthy masculinity. White Ribbon Manager Rob McCann said... Believing in the rigid rules of masculinity is 20 times more likely to predict committing violence than any other demographic features. Well, with us now is someone who grew up knowing aggression in the home growing up, and that followed him into adult life. Rural Kaka-based safe man, safe family lead facilitator and former Black Power President Phil Paikia. Phil, kia ora. Lovely to have you on the panel. Hey, good, guys. This is um, a subject, you know, really close to you. It's White Ribbon Day today. Tell us a little bit about that growing up, Phil. Yeah, you know, I was I was born in a little little country town called Helensville, and um, born in the nineteen fifties. And we were we were born in the era where um, they had six o'clock closing. Uh, you know, our dads knocked off work at five, and you know, went to the pub before uh, and drank uh, the alcohol before closing time, and. Sometimes our dad came home um, inebriated and out the gate, and yeah, and then that's when the violence started. Eh? And yeah, it, um, it, it wasn't it wasn't nice. It, he actually created an atmosphere in the fear, an atmosphere of fear in the home when he when he when he came home like that. And our, our mum stood up to him all the time, but she paid the price. You know, first come the swearing, then the slap, and then the and then the punch, and that was our mum out on the floor and. As, as three children had to, uh, you know, pick her up and console her, and yeah, so it wasn't nice. It wasn't nice. And you said that what the beatings actually did, Phil, was make you totally void of empathy for others as you grew uh, into a young man. Yeah, when our dad, you know, when our dad hit us, say like a lot of my schoolmates, you know, um, you know, they were what they called get a paddywhack. You know, that's with a uh, with a jandle or, 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 or a hand. But man, I wish we had the pretty whack. But man, we got the bash. You know, with a hoover hose and and uh, and, and a kettle cord, and they left marks on our on our bodies, and we were sent to school like that. And uh, so we were fearful of it. Look, we you know we loved our dad. He was a, he was a well, regardless of what he did to us, we still loved him. But we 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 just didn't like we just didn't like being hit. And um, when he said the words, so. Uh, you know, what are you crying for? I'll give you something to cry about. Then we didn't want to get any more, so we, we, we internalised that hurt. You know, um, and when we became, when we became grown men um, and got into, uh, you know, got into violent confrontations, man, all that, all that 
all that um, suppressed um, um, emotion just come out, and you know, my my violence was at the gate. And um, yeah, obviously, um, I became just like my dad. And going, when I got into a relationship, I that 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 aggression came out on my family. Yeah. Hey, Phil, we have a panel with us. I wanted to um, jump and ask um, some questions or some comments as well. Uh, Sarah. Kia ora, Phil. What I would like to know, um, and kia ora for uh, your whakaaro then, um, how did you break the cycle? Oh, gosh, it was a whole, whole raft of things, really. Um, uh, one, of them, one of them was a uh, shooting uh, up in uh, Morua back in 1979 where... Um, gang members were shot by police, and um, um, <coughs> that, <coughs> and that was my wife's family. And um, yeah, she sort of, uh, um, you know, gave me the ultimatum. You know, if you don't, if you, if you uh, don't change, uh, you know, the way you're doing things, then I'm going to leave you. So yeah, um, you know, I, I didn't want to change. So obviously, um, I, I got locked up and. Um, yeah, when I stood before the district court judge, his name was Judge Rutherford Paul, uh, um, it, was, it was quite clear that he was going to send me to prison because uh, a lot of my mates were, hidden, uh, were in the same holding cell with me. And, yeah, well, for some reason, you know, he, um, uh, I stood before him and he said to me, Pikey, uh, I'm, I'm going to deal with you this afternoon. I'm going to remind you back in custody and you'll be the last one I'll be dealing with. So um, I, I would I would expect my, my partner to be in the courthouse to pick me up, but this time around she wasn't. She, she she wasn't there, but when I got reminded back into custody, I realised uh, when when I didn't see her in that courthouse, I, I, I you know I had a recall on what she said. If you don't change, I'm going to leave. Yeah. So she took the opportunity to leave when I was incarcerated, and it was that it was that it was in that cell at that moment that I, I you know I started I started to think about the choices I was making. And so in the end, I ended up at the court in front of Judge Rutherford Paul, and um, he uh, said to me, Pikeia, I'm not going to be sending you to prison today. But he said, if you ever appear before me while I'm presiding judge in this court, prison is going to be your future. So I, I got parent detention, probation, all those sorts of things, and I decided that you know, I needed to do, to do something about it. Yeah. And I did. Oh, kia ora, Phil. Um, M- Mark Sainsbury. Yeah, kia ora, Phil. Tell me, did the... Do you think, um, you know, I was going to ask you exactly the same question. How on earth, you know, what was the circuit breaker? In terms of gang culture, how do you think that has an influence on those attitudes towards violence? Do they reflect like the upbringing like you had had or does it create uh, something different? Yeah, well, listen, you know, the, um, the only gang that we knew growing up were the Hells Angels. So, um, you know, we saw them in our community, but we never saw any violence or anything like that. But obviously, when I uh, when I ran away from home, um, you know, um, I, I got a job in Auckland in the 1970s. You get a job anywhere with our qualifications, and um, you know, I uh, yeah, I, I ended up on the street anyway, and I left Auckland City, went to Coromandel, I hung out with a hippie commune down there, got into trouble there, went down to Christchurch, hooked up with my brother. Um, who was in a gang down there, and I got introduced to the gangs there. So, really, I wasn't looking for gang membership or anything. I was far from it. Uh, drugs was my forte, but uh, when I got introduced to the gang culture there, well, then, you know, I, I hung out with some violent men, and basically, uh, you know, I took on that attitude too, and then all those all those years of um, being beaten by my dad, and then all that, all that, all that violence came out of me, and I didn't know how to control it, and, and it, it became my lifestyle.
And, uh, you know, I was taught wrong, I believed wrong, and so strong was that belief I'd rather stay wrong than to admit it and change. And um, so, like I said, these are after things that, um, um, that, that, that were pivotal in, in my change, and it was yes. the, the district court judge. It was that shooting and whatever, but ha- having the right, having the right person. I've been with my wife now 44 years, and um, I married her twice just to make sure. And you know, uh, she 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 basically is 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 the one that um, helped me through that uh, through that um, cycle of violence and and helped me to stop what I was doing. What about for young um, ones today, though, Phil? What 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 what's going to be the best thing to to help them? And what's the message for us on White Ribbon Day as well? Yeah, well, you know, um, uh, you got uh, uh, a second, third generation gang members coming through now, and um, basically all the old, the ones back in the day set the platform for that. And so um, when we, when when I, when I, when me and some of my mates joined the gangs, it was a companion thing. Uh, I mean, like we 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 lived in Christchurch, and Christchurch back then was a pretty racist place, and um, you know. Um, you know, you had to uh, keep yourself safe uh, in that space, so especially when you were a young Māori boy, uh, heading off down there to those trade training courses. And um, so it wasn't so much gang culture then, um, you know, but now it's different because you those kids were brought up in that space. We weren't. We weren't. And so obviously violence is a part of that. Uh, violence is a part of that culture. And um, it's going to take, you know, you know, uh, it's going to take solid family foundations uh, to bring about change. We've had we've had gang members on the White Ribbon Road, uh, good men, and uh, uh, the week just gone, I was in Rotorua uh, at the launch of the White Ribbon Ride, and I spoke at a um, at a drug and alcohol facility, and there were gang members there, and one of the presidents of the Mongol Mob from Napier, his name is Rex um, uh, Timu, he brought his sons with him, and his sons uh, his sons aren't. Um, I didn't want to follow in their father's footsteps, and they've taken a different journey, and it doesn't include gang membership. Right. So even though their father's a gang member, uh, his sons uh, wanted to take a, a different path. So we heard their stories, and, and they decided, no, we didn't want to follow our dad. They loved their dad. Their dad loves them. And so he was supporting his sons. Phil, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, coming through to you. What a wonderful, brave man, says Jilly. Uh, also, someone here, Judge Rudd Paul, was such a wise, kind, amazing man. I've heard Phil's story, but it's so clear every time. Sarah? Yeah, and uh, it's clear to me too around the um, compassion that was shown um, because, you know, I grew up with Queer who taught me that violence is a violation against Papa. Everything's about Papa. It's a transgression against Papa. And this is about values and with our younger generation understanding what that means. But also the aunties and queer taught me about the sanctity, you know, from a wahine's point of view, of the whare tangata, you know, and, and the role of our tāne and why they're there and how they protect, but, but the wahine brings in the next generation and nurtures. Yeah. And it's that combo, right? And that's the message that we need right. to bring um, to okay. our next generation. It's about the healing thought, in order, restore, restoration. Yeah. No, you're right. You know, um, you know I've, I've got to give it to our wahine men. I, I, I call my wife as my horanga, horanga tira tuwara. <laughs> Kia ora. She's my wife and my backbone. And mm. I tell you, when uh, working in this space, I have a lot of women uh, ringing me 
asking me, look, Matua, would you be able to help my um, help my Tani? He's going through a rough time, mm. and and I and I first of all I, I acknowledge I acknowledge her courage, and I said, you know, uh, you know, I, I admire you, Wahine, for for making that stand. It's a stand the men should be making, but the women are doing it. Mm. And I said, more often than not, the men are actually sitting next to the Wahine. Um, um, telling them what to say, and that lady, she she paused and she laughed at me. She goes, "Guess what, Matua? My man sitting right next to me, telling me what to say." And then I said to, I said to, her, "Hey, you put him back on. You put him on the phone. I want to talk to him." And then when he gets on the phone, he says, "Oh, Kira Matua, yeah, I, I, I didn't know what to say. Uh, um, so I got my partner to do it for me." So you know, and you know, what you say, some men don't know how to reach out. You know they, you know because um, they don't, they don't know, they don't know how to do it and who to ask, and so that's why we formed the Safe Man Safe Family. Cool. We believe that if the if the man is safe, the family's safe. If the family's safe, uh, uh, you know the the community is safe. If the community is safe, society is safe. If society is safe, the nation is safe. Uh, Phil, so, so we've got some we've got some work to do. It's an honour having you on the panel. I really appreciate your uh, time with us today. Yeah, kia ora, Phil. Kia ora, matua. Oh, kia ora, kia ora koutou. That's uh, former Black Power President Phil Paikia, uh, who's also a lead facilitator in Safe Man, Safe Family. It's 12 to 5. I just quickly wanted to check in on this because it's Aotearoa's largest Christmas parade this Sunday, 1pm, the Farmers' Centre Parade down Queen Street kicks off. And with us is costume maker for the Auckland Centre Parade, Marilyn Merrick. Marilyn, hey, thanks for waiting and lovely to have you on the programme. Well, thank you for asking us to be on. You, um, yep. Yeah, no, carry on, sorry. 23 years you've been doing this. Tell us about being involved in the parade. It's actually a really amazing job. You get to meet some incredible people. I work with amazing people at any rate. But when you see the kids coming in and they get their costume on and they're a little bit shy, a little bit hesitant, because when you come into our workroom, it's pretty overwhelming, first of all, for your first visit. But they get their costume on, they get a bit excited. I have a big mirror in my room, so they get to see it. And then they go out into the big warehouse and show mum and dad and all that. And then that's a bit of excitement there. They kind of get the idea of it. But then on parade day itself, when they get their costume on, they get their makeup on, and it's all go. You know, it, it's massive. It's a massive undertaking when you see all these kids in one space at the same time. Um, but you see their characters change. So yeah. over the years, we've watched kids grow from seven-year-olds to young adults, and we just see the change in them. You know, it's, it's amazing. Sarah? Uh, Marilyn, do you have a favourite costume? And are there any vintage ones? Oh, oh we still have some that I made way back before 2000. Um, they're still going strong. Um, my favourite one this year is probably the uh, Rainbow Unicorn Princess. You've got to watch out for that. It's a big beauty. It's um, beautiful. The Rainbow Unicorn Princess. Mark, it sounds uh, kaleidoscopic, doesn't it, this Christmas? It, it, it sure as hell does. Yeah. There's nothing like a great old, uh, the old Santa Parade. Yeah. Um, 
And for just, and I'll give you a heads up. I'm I'm driving Santa in the Kilburnie Santa Parade on December the fourth. You know, it's not going to be quite the same, quite the same caliber as no. I know that Maryland's got organised there. But we do our little local one, and we have a bit yeah. of fun with that. Just drove up past ten on a on a Sunday morning. Um, but what's the most obviously Santa's the is, is one of the things. But what would be the most sought after? position in the parade. Yeah, that was my question as well. (laughs) Well, apart from being Santa, every every girl wants to be a princess and have something beautiful. And we actually had two young girls in for a fitting just a while ago and they had, they have, it's always been their secret dream to be a princess. When they came in this time, they're princesses. Wow. And they've got great big crinolines and they were just beside themselves with joy. They will, and because they're really happy in the costume, they will show it off really well. And that's what we want, you know. We want them to be happy and animated and just having a good time. And so we've made their dreams come true. Oh, gosh, Marilyn. So um, Sunday, 1 p.m., are you prepared for the return of the parade? Um, Tens of thousands of people, are you prepared? Oh, yes. We've been putting in some long hours to make it really awesome for Auckland. We're still actually a wee bit short of a few people to help behind the scenes, though. So if anyone was interested, they could contact us. We would really appreciate it. We only need about 30 people, um, you know, just for makeup and afternoon tea and inflatable handlers. Okay. So can I give you the email address? Uh, yes, you, uh, yes, you can. Of course. Go for it. Farmers Santa Parade, or one word, lowercase, at gmail.com. Oh. Nice. Farmers Santa Parade at gmail.com. All the very best, Marilyn, for um, the Santa, Santa's Parade, Queen Street, 1 p.m. Sunday. Yes, thank you so much. Wonderful. Very, very, very good indeed. You're on the panel Friday afternoon, and it is 8 to 5 before we head into Checkpoint. Now, some people have got in touch complaining about the panel promo. The one about Kevin and his waterbed. I don't know why, triggering perhaps, but many got in touch about waterbeds. Some of you, really big fans, still enjoying the waterbed today. Then I get this email. My brother Ron Hughes bought waterbeds to New Zealand in 1972. By 73, I joined him and I got the license to import waterbed mattresses and heaters from the US in 1974. Worth asked to tell us about the story is Tom Hughes. Tom, great to have you on. Lovely. So you heard the promo, every yeah. time I hear these horns, Kevin on his waterbed, and you thought, I've got to be part of this. Yeah, my wife had heard it, and uh, I picked it up from there. Tell me about the start of waterbeds in New Zealand. Well, it was uh, occasioned by the fact that my brother came to this part of the world in 69 as a troop out of Nam and uh, landed in Sydney for seven days. And when he got back to the U.S., about a year later, he decided this was where he wanted to come. So he arrived here to teach and uh, deciding he may not want to go into teaching. He had brought about 12 waterbeds <laughs> mattresses with him okay and uh, from there it went uh, to where i came down a year and a half later and really waterbeds have been 
part of your story, haven't they? In fact, as I understand it, uh, your brother married the ex-wife of the man who invented the waterbed. Yeah, he, he did indeed. Uh, he, he was in Australia after he left. We sold the business in 78. He went to Sydney. And he was really at multiple stores and was doing great. In fact, the uh, younger siblings started to join him to help there. And uh, first one sister, then another sister, then a brother. So... Uh, well, Tom, the way. you joined the right panel this afternoon because I've always thought whenever I think of waterbeds, I think of Mark Sainsbury. Well, the funny thing is, Wallace, I bought a waterbed probably from these guys back you in see? The, would have been about 1977. <laughs> this guy Clive Bilby was involved in it at one stage. And, yeah, it would have been in then. Uh, yeah, and, but the ba- only problem was the initial ones were like this big bladder that sat inside this frame. You know, so if you hop on one side, you'd just about eject the person on the other side. Over, over. I mean, they've since got more sophisticated. They make them with individual bladders. Well, that, and, was, that was quite a bit later, but I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you that the trick was when we started uh, in Auckland in 73, we had a, a warranty. One month, if we didn't like it, return it. Yeah. Uh, and I think in five years, I, I probably had one return. Yeah, well, of course, so it's just the, a matter yeah, of getting used to it. And the worst thing you wanted was a leak. She had, she had, well, she had to get the hose in through the window to fill it up. And it took... Uh, it was, um, how, Tom, how long did they take to heat up? Uh, about two days. Yeah. Probably, probably the toughest install I had was the uh, chef at the Fisherman's Wharf, where I had to, down in uh, below the... Harbour Bridge in Auckland, I had to hoist it up uh, outside the building. To there was a, there, hey, oh, 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 this, is, this is Auckland history, there was a big waterbed at Fisherman's Wharf? Yeah, up, up on the, uh, the ship had it up in the penthouse above the restaurant. Good grief. Sarah, I, I don't know your contribution to waterbeds. I myself um, tried one as a kid and I absolutely loved one. It was, it was my dream to have a waterbed. Never got one. My sister had one. I remember when she was flatting going over and um and what I was thinking about was the heating of it she didn't it, it wasn't heated she just got it and it was awful um so um yeah but but um yeah they were very iconic it was almost like everyone had one back in the day but I don't know how many people have them now yeah so Tom um what what are you doing now are you still in the waterbed world no I got a brother in Sydney who is and my brother Older brother just retired about five years ago, but uh, I came back to New Zealand in 2004 with my uh, Kiwi wife and settled on Waiheke, and I've been a real estate agent here ever since. Oh, okay. And so you're on Waiheke Island. You'd have mm-hmm. a waterbed then, right? I, I still have one, of course. Well. Lifetime guarantee. Lifetime guarantee. Not a, not a 1975 model, I'd wager, though. <laughs> Collector's items now, Mark. Yes, yes. Just a final thought, um, Tom. Are they comfy? Can you get a good night's sleep on one? Couldn't be better. On I that even, note? Uh, the weightlessness. airbnb the house for two years, and uh, people raved about sleeping on the waterbed. Good on you, Tom. Thank you for that. Someone says, by the way... Wallace, I'm crying my eyes out. That interview with Phil Pike here, amazing. On that note, Sarah Sparks, Mark Sainsbury, happy weekend. Go well. Kia ora. Yeah, kia ora. I'm Wallace Chapman. Thanks for the cookies, Sarah. (coughs) Checkpoint next. My pleasure. Checkpoint next. See you Monday.